Hi, it's Chris Valentin here. Welcome to my podcast where I hope to inspire you to walk in your royal identity in Christ and experience God's goodness in every area of your life. One of the best ways that you can do this is by reading my newest book, Poverty, Riches, and Wealth. Before you get started with today's message, I wanted to let you know that it's now available wherever you buy your books, whether it's Amazon or Barnes & Noble. I wrote Poverty, Riches, and Wealth to help you move from the never-enough mentality into a true kingdom abundance from the inside out. Check it out, and I hope you enjoy this message. Would you grab a hand and let's pray? <laughs> it's going to come to that. <laughs> we thank you for uh, we thank you for fun. We thank you for what you're doing all around the world. Lord, we thank you for the testimony of Jesus, which is the spirit of prophecy. We thank you for the, all the miraculous things that you're doing in us and through us and among us. And we we pray for more of that, God. We pray for more miracles. We pray for more people's lives change. We pray for the testimony that Tom shared tonight, that that would be repeated hundreds and thousands of times, that you would save marriages, that you would save lives, that you would deliver people from all sorts of addictions. Lord, and we just, we just release that over people right now, people watching by Bethel TV. We just pray that get touched deeply, Lord. We pray that you would, that you would touch people deeply, down, right down into their identity, right down into their identity in you that you would re-identify us as a, as a people of God, as a holy people. You bless what you're doing in us, in Jesus' name. Amen. Could you put up uh, one hour up there, please? I'm lose track of time. Thank you very much. Well, tonight I want to talk about nothing's impossible with God. So why don't you just turn to Luke chapter 1, and we're just going to read a little bit about the about Mary and... Um, a little bit about the angel that visited Mary. So verse 26, we'll start there. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus, and he shall be great, and he shall be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth also has conceived a son in her old age, and she, has, she, who, has been, who, she who is called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. Can we just say that together? For nothing will be impossible with God. For nothing would be impossible with God. I love this, uh, obviously, for all the reasons that you would know. But I love that Jesus came into the world through a miraculous birth. Um, it's only happened one time in the history of the world. <laughs> the chances of it happening again are like zero. <laughs> a virgin gets pregnant by God himself. God and humanity get together and have Jesus. He was fully God and fully man. His mother is obviously fully human 
his father, fully God. And we have Jesus, the son of God becomes the son of man so that sons of men can become sons of God. What a beautiful picture we have. Jesus comes into the world through a miracle, but that, just, that becomes a catalyst for his entire life. He's not just born into a miracle, but he becomes a miracle. And, he, and then he does miracles, and he reproduces miracles, and then he empowers people to do miracles. It's, it's such a beautiful picture that in his birth, his very birth, the way he came into the world was a miracle. And, um, I, and let's turn to John chapter 3. I wanna, we're going to read quite a bit of scripture. In the uh, noon session, I said, I want to apologize for reading so much scripture, and I might. That was stupid. Don't do that again. So I did it. <laughs> chapter 3, verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. I love this part. We know you're a teacher because you can do signs and wonders. How many understand? He didn't say, I know you're a teacher because your teaching is so amazing. He said, we know you're a teacher because of the signs that you do, because of the miracles you do. You must be a teacher because you can do miracles. How many know Jesus wasn't famous for teaching just because he had great messages, but because his messages actually worked. (laughs) Because he actually could change people, because he could change people's circumstances, because the miracle he was born into flowed through him, and he did miracles around around him. Jesus answered and said to him, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said, how can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it. You do not know where it comes from or where it's going. So is everyone who's born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, said, are you the teacher of Israel, and you don't understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify of what we've seen. And you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe them, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man will be lifted up so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. I love this, but I wanted to point out something. That Jesus came into the world through a miracle and because he, came in, or bec- or, or because he came into the world through a miracle, he did miracles. So his life itself was a miracle from the beginning, from its conception. From its very conception, Jesus' life was a miracle. Jesus wasn't just a miracle worker. Jesus himself, his life was a miracle. But I'd like to point out, too, that everyone who's born again also comes into the kingdom through the same kind of miracle. Not through a virgin birth, of course, but the fact is is that you can't get into the kingdom unless you're born again. Nicodemus, uh, quite quite an astute teacher, an intelligent man, he says to Jesus, like, how can a man be born when he's old? Like, how, and he's trying to work out this, 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 teaching that Jesus is sharing. And remember, Nicodemus is, at this point, he doesn't know the Lord well, 
but he, he admires him. He comes at night, and he's, this is the first account of Nicodemus coming to Jesus. And so Jesus is building a relationship with this guy, and this, this man's quite intelligent, and he's, he's honest. He's telling Jesus, I, I, you know, he, you can feel he has a sense. He, he wants to understand, how can this happen? He's not like the, one of the, he is a Pharisee, but he's not like a, the unbelieving Pharisee who's trying to make fun of Jesus or trying to catch Jesus in some kind of teaching that doesn't make sense. He's earnestly like, I, how could this happen? I, how, if I have to be born again to see the kingdom, how, how, how would I do that? Could I, I couldn't go back into my mother's womb. And he begins to recount to Jesus the, the questions he has about the birth, the new birth, the second birth, if you will. And Jesus goes on to tell him, if you, being a great teacher in Israel, don't understand earthly things. How could I tell you heavenly things? And, and what, what I'm getting at is this, is that when we receive Jesus Christ and we become born again, how many of you know that we were actually born by a miracle? We were actually entered into the kingdom through a miracle. It's not by our works, but by His. You can't get in by your works. In fact, the only way you can get into the kingdom is actually to be born into the kingdom. Like, you can't even get into the kingdom if you're a good person. You can't even get into the kingdom by doing good works. You can't be get into the kingdom if you never sin, which obviously everybody has. But that, nothing could get you in because the only way to get into the kingdom is actually to be born into the kingdom. Are you following me? And I'm saying it was by a miraculous birth that you were reborn into the kingdom. And Nicodemus is trying to understand that, and Jesus begins to talk to him about this, this earthly, you know, he, uh, this is really uh, Bill's teaching, but I'm stealing it. If you're part of the family, you get to borrow everything that's in the garage. That's what happens in my world, at least. I noticed my cutoff saw is gone this week and doesn't have a note anywhere. So one of my kids evidently broke in. But this, Jesus says to him, if I tell you things that have an earthly parallel, I'm born once, and now I can be born again. I'm giving you an example. I'm using an earthly example to talk to you about a spiritual truth. You were born once, and in order to, and you, when you were born once, you were born into this world. And the only way to get into the kingdom is to be born another time, <laughs> born again. If I tell you, if I... Nicodemus, if I tell you something that has an earthly parallel, how would I ever tell you something that has no earthly parallel? How would I tell you a heavenly thing? If you think this is deep, there are things that have no earthly parallels whatsoever. And I want to say that, I want to start the teaching by saying, what is a miracle? A miracle... You know, sometimes we say, my son took out the garbage. It's a miracle. He's 14. <laughs> you know, we just, and that's the person that's got their hands raised the highest that morning. Like, Jesus is alive. What happened? My son took out the garbage by himself. Oh, my Lord. It was beautiful. We both fell down in the spirit and wept for hours, you know. And, and you know, we're like, that's a miracle. And we all know, like, that's amazing. But really, a miracle is something that defies the laws of nature, right? A miracle, I mean, the real definition of a miracle isn't Johnny took the garbage out. That could happen, even though it's not likely. (laughs) But a miracle isn't something that's not likely. 
A miracle is something that defies the laws of nature, laws of physics, right? And so, and so Jesus, when we receive Jesus, we receive Jesus in a way that defies the laws of physics. We can't go back into our mother's womb and be born again, and yet we actually became born again through a law, through a law that transcends the laws of physics. Now, before we get any deeper in this teaching, I'd like to propose that God is the God of order. That, that every kingdom that God is God over is not chaotic. Like God is not the author of chaos and he's not the author of confusion. But when God created the earth, he put into motion a law of physics, right? And we, and we were like, and, and things are, quote, logical. The seen world is, quote, logical, right? And so scientists live with this pressure that if you can see it, there's got to be logic to it. And the core is that, that literally that nature, the natural world, actually has um, a predictable root, for lack of a better word. Are you following me at all? You're like, no. And I'd propose that the world that God lives in, the spirit world that God has created, or I'd say God lives in both realms, but the world, the dimension of the kingdom also has a law. Similar to the law of physics, it's not total chaos. Like, it is a law. And when Jesus, as we're going to look at it in just a few minutes, when Jesus healed somebody... He often called the healing a sign. These are the signs that Jesus did. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. And the question is, why is it a sign? Like, why isn't it just a healing? I mean, when Jesus healed somebody, why does the Bible say, and why does Jesus repeat, and why do people around him say, well, that was a sign? A sign of what? You know, if, if I went to the doctor and had some terminal, terminal disease, and I went through a medical procedure, and I got well, I wouldn't say, well, that's a sign. But Jesus says, that's a sign. And when a man answers a question, Jesus asks him, well, he goes, the kingdom's near you. When somebody, when Jesus sends the disciples out to heal him, he goes, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, and say, the kingdom has come near you. And my point is, why is healing, or any of these things I just mentioned, why are they a sign? And I propose it's because of the way that God heals. When God does a supernatural healing, the way God heals is that a superior kingdom superimposes itself over an inferior kingdom. So not only did they get healed, are you with me? But the reason they got healed is because a superior kingdom actually influenced an inferior kingdom. Are you with me? And now, why is that important? Because a healing isn't supposed to just be a healing. It's supposed to be an invitation for you to step through the invisible wall into a superior kingdom so that you don't just get a miracle, but you become one. <laughs> okay, we'll move on. But Think of it this way. The law of gravity. The law of gravity? How do planes fly? See, if I only understand the law of gravity, I'm like, whoa. 
and I see something heavy that I can't lift, and it, it's, it's flying. How many know that the, the, the planes fly because the law of lift transcends the law of gravity? Right? So if I jump off of here, back when I was a kid, I put cardboard wings on. Anyone else ever do that? I got up on my roof, and I'm like, I'm going to be like a bird. I'm going to be like a bird. I'm, gonna be, I'm not like a bird. <laughs> there were some other elements besides faith that went in there. I jumped off the roof and I was more like a rock than a bird. And I'm a lot more rocky now than I was in those days. My point is, is that planes fly, birds fly, because the law of lift is greater than the law of gravity. So when I see a plane fly, now I understand this is, this is the laws of physics, I get it. it, it's in the natural world, but I'm using it to illustrate something, I understand it breaks down at some place, but I'm using it to illustrate the fact that planes fly because the law of gravity overcomes, I'm sorry, the law of lift overcomes the law of gravity. And that's why I fly through the air and I flew to Brazil and back in the air. I'm flying in the air. I'm like, I have this thing, you know, that, this thing that's made out of metal that weighs, I don't know how many tons, is flying through the air. I don't know if that still astonishes you. I remember the first few times I got on a plane, I'm like, I hope this all works. Because <laughs> I was only familiar with the law of gravity. What I'm getting at is this, when somebody gets healed, it's a metaphor now, follow me, the law of lift overcame the law of gravity. In this case, the higher law of the kingdom. How many understand in the kingdom of God, there's, there's no sickness. There'll be no more tears. There's no sadness. There's no death. And just go on and on and on. Like, what's happening? When somebody gets healed, is the kingdom came near. And the kingdom, with the superior law of physics, overcame an inferior law of physics and God says, that healing is a door. It's a door to another dimension. You can come in. I know I'm right about this. I preached it once and liked almost the entire message. Oh, well. Um, Matthew chapter 17, verse 19. Then Jesus, then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why can we not drive this demon out? And so let me just tell you the backstory. So Jesus and three of his favorite disciples go up on the mountain to the Mount Transfiguration. And while he's up there with Peter, James, and John, the nine of his disciples are trying to cast a demon out of a boy. Do you remember the story? His father brings him to, father brings this boy, who's demonized to this this fought to, this, uh, to the disciples. They can't cast them out. Jesus comes down from the mountain, casts the demons out, and just about the time, you know, and so, so now Jesus' disciples are talking to Jesus afterwards while they're walking, and he said, why, they say, why can't we drive out these demons? And he said, because of the littleness of your faith. For truly I say to you, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you would say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it, will be, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. Let me read the last part again. For I say to you, if you say to this mountain, move from here to there, it will move, and nothing, say this with me, and nothing will be impossible to you. 
Say it this way. Nothing will be impossible to me. Nothing will be impossible to me. So the disciples are like, how come we couldn't do that? Like, we, you know, we tried. And Jesus said, because of the littleness of your faith. For I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. I always was concerned about this passage because I'm like, Jesus is saying, because of the littleness of your faith. And if you had the faith the size of a mustard seed, you could move a mountain. And you guys couldn't cast a demon out because yours was smaller than that. Have you ever wondered about that? Like Jesus just got done saying, Jesus says to them, you couldn't cast them out because of your littleness of faith. That, you know, if you had faith just the size of a mustard seed. But the word littleness there actually is the word brief. Jesus wasn't saying your faith was too small. He was saying you didn't keep it in there long enough. He wasn't saying... Your faith was smaller than a mustard seed. He was saying, you didn't leave it in the fight long enough to win. Are you with me? It doesn't take much faith to move mountains, but it takes persistent faith. I love this generation. I mean, I really am in love with the millennials. Half my school is millennials. Half our school is millennials. I, I, I love the millennials. They are the most brilliant, most creative, most innovative generation to ever grace the, this planet. I'm, I'm not saying that as an encouragement. I'm saying they learn so quickly that literally you can buy a product today, and a year from now, a year from now, it's already obsolete. You can get a four-year education in technology and graduate. And when you graduate, you're three years behind. That's how fast technology is growing. It's, it's, it's the millennials that have inspired this incredible knowledge, this incredible invention, innovation. I mean, it's just amazing. And we all get to benefit from it. The only challenge I have with the millennials is they quit too soon. And I was thinking the other day, and I've thought this many times actually, what if the millennials connected to my grandfather's generation? What if God joined the generations and those who went through the depression connected with those who invented the computer? I mean, what would happen if you had faith, if you had faith of of the millennials and you had the persistence of my grandfather? Think about what you could do if you didn't quit. Think of what you, what you could do if you had that persistent history will be kind to me, for I intend to write it. <laughs> that Winston Churchill kind of, we will fight them in the air. We will fight them on the land. We will fight them in the sea. We, you know, what would happen if you had that persistent? See, something, I'm glad we live in a time of peace. We're going to talk about that in a minute. I'm glad we live generally in a time of peace. But something does get forged in you in a time of war. And if you can keep that thing that's forging you, that persistence that, that, that I, 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 I'm get her done, that I don't quit. Weary but pursuing. Knocked down but not destroyed. If you can get that thing mixed into nothing's impossible with God, you could change the world. I propose we should. 
In Luke chapter 8, verse 22, another great story. I think this is one of Bill's favorite stories. Now, one of those days, Jesus and his disciples got into a boat and said to them, let us go to the other side of the lake. Everybody say, let us go to the other side of the lake. This was the command of Jesus. What was the command? Let us go to the other side of the lake. So they launched out, and as they were sailing along, he fell asleep, and a fierce gale wind descended on the lake, and they began to be swamped and to be in danger. Now, you know, at least four of these guys are fishermen, so we're talking about a pretty serious storm. They came to Jesus and woke him up, saying, Master, Master, are you perishing? And he got up and rebuked the wind and the surging waves, and they stopped, and it became calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? Where is your faith? (laughs) And they were fearful and amazed, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him? Now, let me just say, first of all, most of this teaching I also got from Bill. Most of everything I have (laughs) was birthed in Jesus through Bill. (laughs) I've been with Bill so long. This is our 40th year together. I have messages I think are mine. And then I find an old set of notes and I'm like, oh, that wasn't even my original quote. (laughs) People give me credit for quotes he's shared. But then again, they give him credit for quotes Jesus has shared. This is an odd story from lots of different, for lots of different reasons. They wake Jesus up and say, don't you care that we're perishing? And the connotation is, do something about this. He calms the sea, tells the wind to stop and the sea to be quiet. He calms the sea, and then the, here's their response. Who is this then that commands even the winds and water and they obey him? And my point is, why would you wake him if you didn't think he could do something? I think this is how most people pray. I don't really expect anything, but we probably should wake him. Like, let's not drown alone. <laughs> I have a feeling that they didn't wake him up in great faith. I have a feeling they're like, we're drowning and you're sleeping. If, if we're drowning, you're drowning. <laughs> it's kind of that misery loves company. And then Jesus actually solves the problem. They're like, who is this man who calms the sea? And I'm like, why the heck did you wake him if you didn't think he could calm the sea? But the point that the bill makes is you can only have power over the storm you have peace in. And has been mentioned many times, they wake Jesus up. How many, would, how many know Jesus is God? There's several who are not raised their hands on him. I'm just hoping those aren't Bethel School of Ministry students. It's okay if you come in not raising your hand, but you should go out like raising your hand. So they're drowning, and they wake up Jesus and say, don't you care that we're drowning? And then Jesus says, where's your faith? And I'm like, in you. Well, the friend we have in Jesus. And Jesus, I mean, thankfully, Jesus takes care of the problem, but then he rebukes them. Where's your faith? Uh Uh-huh. Tell him, Thomas. <laughs> Tell him where our faith is, Thomas. I doubt it. I mean, do th- you see what I'm getting at? Like, this is a very odd story from many different perspectives. 
Where's your faith? Well, we didn't call on Buddha. I mean, Thomas wanted to. Tell him, Tom. Confess right here. I mean, we, 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 we woke you up. I mean, virtually we prayed. And the point is this, is that Jesus calmed the storm that they had authority to calm. And sometimes we're asking Jesus to do stuff that we're supposed to do. (laughs) Sometimes we're asking God to calm a storm and he said, I put you here to grow. (laughs) Okay. It's worked better when Bill shared it. <laughs> the greatest deterrent to faith is not doubt, it's fear. Let me say it again. The greatest deterrent to faith, in my mind, is not doubt. You remember, a guy comes to Jesus and he said, You know, can you do this? And Jesus said, Yes, if you believe. He said, I believe, but help me with my doubt. I mean, he still got what he wanted. But fear keeps you from asking. I'm convinced that fear is probably the greatest practical, practically, I understand what I'm about to say is not theologically accurate, but I'm talking about the daily, our daily walk. It's probably the most practical, socially accepted sin in the body of Christ. I understand there's worse things, but... I'm saying more people do not come into their destiny because of fear than probably anything else. Think about it. The sons of Israel came out of Egypt. They're in the wilderness. What kept them out of the land of promise? Now, they, they worshiped false idols. They had some immoral things happen in their life. There was some really bad stuff that happened in the wilderness, Right? But what's the one thing that actually kept them out of the promised land? Fear. Fear. They refused to believe because they were afraid. I wonder what you would do if you were ten times bolder. If it's one thing you're not doing now, fear has reduced you. If you were ten times bolder, if you could answer this question any differently than what you're doing now. If, I, if God said to you, what would you do if you're 10 times bolder? If there's one thing that you would be doing if you were 10 times bolder, it means fear has reduced you. I'm convinced that what's called wisdom is often fear dressed up in a Superman costume. I think that what's called wisdom is often fear dressed up in a Superman costume. Some of the most fearful people in the world are wearing no-fear shirts. (laughs) I'm not afraid. Why are you wearing that shirt then? This is like walking around with something that says, I'm a man. Okay, glad you clarified that. John 14, 11. Why don't you turn there? John 14, verse 11. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these will he do because I go to be with the Father. 
Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. That's crazy. So this is this is our calling. Jesus said to the disciples, if you don't believe me on account of my words, you don't like my message, you're not impressed by my preaching, then believe me on account of my works. Because the works that I do are not my own, but they're the Father working through me. And greater works will you do when I go to be with the Father. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it for you. Well, the word anything there doesn't mean anything. It means any thing. So let's be clear that the original Greek means some things all the time. And other things often. I don't know. You ever hear people like... I, I, I don't read commentaries very often because I, and I used to read them when I was a young believer. The commentary would begin with something like the book of Peter would be... now. Some think that Peter wrote this, and other people think he didn't. And the, and the book opens up with Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm like, I don't think you have much to say to me. Like, I, like I've been a believer for two years, and I've figured out Pete wrote that book. And some people are so smart, they're stupid. Like, if you're not going to believe, then, you know, don't believe. But don't write a commentary on the Bible. I'm so sorry. Has anyone else read commentaries like that? I'm like, uh, well, you know, the Red Sea didn't really part. And this is a commentary. I'm like, this is a commentary from the theologian. I'm like, you know, the word became flesh and dwell among us. And through theologians, it became just words again. (laughs) And I want to be clear, like, I like theology as long as it's actually real theology. Not a philosophy that masquerades as theology. Jesus said, <laughs> and your point is, <laughs> oh, I forgot it. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Tighter. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Well, that's amazing. How many of you are going through troubles? You have any kind of trouble in your life? Awesome. It's not even a trouble. If you ask him anything in my name, yeah, but not this thing. What thing? If you ask him anything in my name, I will do it for you. I mean, that's a stress reliever. Reliever. (laughs) In first service, I was trying to say transcendent, and I kept saying transient. And Jesus, I said five times, Jesus has a transient ministry. And the front row was like, transcendent. I'm like, so I repeated it again because I thought maybe they didn't hear me. Jesus has a transient ministry. <laughs> they're like, you don't like theologians, but you ought to read one of those books. <laughs> we were born... To release hope in people. 
Like, this is what we do. Like, we believe anything's possible. I was, um, I went to um, Brazil uh, two weeks ago. Last week, I actually came home. Yes, Brazil. By the way, Brazil, God's doing a powerful, crazy, amazing thing in Brazil. I, I, I love the Brazilian people, but God is actually tr- transforming their, their entire country. It's amazing. And I've had a privilege of being there, I think, four times. It's just wonderful what's happening there. Um, but when I was in Brazil, a couple of people came up, uh, a couple of Brazilians came up, and they reminded me that I had given a prophetic word about Korea, which I had t- actually, I, I, I mean, once they told me I remembered it, but I actually did not remember it. And they said, hey, hey, that word you gave about Korea, look, because the, the news of the Korean, South Korean and Northern Korean um, coalition, kind of the wall coming down kind of thing, is, was in the Brazilian newspaper. And so they didn't bring me the newspaper, but they repeated what they were reading. And they said, remember when you came here in 2013, you brought this word that I had given in 2012 about Korea. Because we did this prophetic conference there. And I, I want to read you a little bit of it. Not so you can be like, well, Chris is right, but that would be good. Because <laughs> I gave this word in 2012, and I've been getting all these false prophet words when, you know, the rocket man was building nuclear weapons, and they're like, false prophet, ah, false prophet. <laughs> it is nice to win once in a while, you know what I'm saying? So I gave this on February 18, 2012. I have a sense that our country is improving. I had this vision of God blowing or breathing on this continent as Jesus breathed on his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. It wasn't a suggestion, but a command. I saw the nation turning blood red from the east coast to the west coast. It was a redemptive nature of forgiveness being assimilated into the ground. And out of the soil, souls were emerging like soldiers on a battlefield. Dead bones were coming to life, and they were dressed for battle in different, for diff- in different realms. Some had expensive business suits, and others were dressed like doctors, teachers, and so forth. They were all given secret messages that they read, and then they ate them. The message transformed them and equipped them for their mission. Revelation, over the nation, uh, revelation was released over the nation, and inventions and innovation were springing up over the... Um, springing up all over like the first week of spring. Pennsylvania was highlighted as if a major breakthrough was rising from there. Instead of two towers, three towers were being built as a sign of the strength of our economy being supported by a three-chord strand. I felt a warning that many would look at the political climate to determine the condition of the country, but the signs of revival would not flow from the White House, but to it. Hope would not arise from the polls, but from the people. This was a people movement that swept the globe, turning the the planet a deep purple. Interesting, I don't know what this has to do with it. Someone wrote me, uh, this is probably a year after I gave this, and they said, did you notice that Pennsylvania was the first state to turn purple in the election? You know, what purple, uh, a red state, a state that's normally blue state, democratic state, turned red. And I think it was the, I, they said, I, I don't remember, they said it was the first state to actually turn purple, and it swept, and purple swept from the east to the west. Anyway, <clears throat> um, here's the part. I saw the Lord blowing freezing cold air over Iran and North Korea. 
It created impossible conditions for war. He literally froze their war machines. It was a political climate change equal to the fall of the Iron Curtain. That's pretty good. I'll read you the rest of the word because it's, it's, the rest is pretty short. I saw God had already released Daniels into China and humility and generosity would spring up from the east. God called it a helps movement. I saw that China would be given the gift of helps for the world. God was hugging centuries of brokenness out of them. There was so much more, but every country that was bent on war was frozen. The climate was suddenly unpredictably changed. It was weird, but good. And I want to read you uh, just a part of a Charisma Magazine article that was written this month uh, on the second day of 2018. A few months ago, the North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un, I don't even know how you say that, I'm sorry, I don't want to dishonor anybody, was firing missiles over Japan and threatening to send nuclear bombs in our direction. But last week, the young leader dropped a different kind of surprise on the world. He met with, Southern, with the South Korean president, Moon, on April 27th, and announced, I don't even do English names very well, so, and announced that the 67-year-old Korean conflict is over. I came here to put an end to the, to the history of confrontation, Kim said to Moon in a meeting on the border town of Pyongyang. There will be, there will be no more war on the, North, on the Korean peninsula and a new age of peace has begun. Kim Young has built the fourth largest army in the world with 1.1 million soldiers, and he says that he will focus on rebuilding his country and his shattered economy. Boom, just like that, swords were converted into plowshares. The two leaders, all smiles with cameras, agreed to denuclearize the Korean Peninsula within a year. They also agreed to set up reunions with families that have been divided since the Korean War. <laughs> since the Korean War started in 1950, in 1950, it feels like it feels like this should. It feels like we should declare a global holiday and dance in the streets. It goes on and on. By the way, you can read that in Charisma magazine. It's just a fantastic article about North and South Korea. My point is this. Less than six months ago, North Korea was firing and building nuclear weapons with nuclear missiles and claimed to be able to reach mainland America. Japanese have been under threat for months. They've been practicing war drills for nearly a year because of this man. I mean, this, is, this, is, this would be equal to Nebuchadnezzar having an encounter with God. It goes on in the article to say, and I would read it, but it's very long, to say that the South Koreans have been fasting and praying for months that Kim would have an encounter with God. When we say nothing's impossible with God, we're not just talking about 
and by the way, I don't want to play this down, but we're not specifically just talking about that a body gets healed. Or even the wonder of someone finding the Lord. I mean, oh, that's beautiful. And, uh, and that's wonderful, and it's, it's great. But how many people's lives will be saved? Because one man, like Nebuchadnezzar, who is just, I mean, we're not talking about like, he dies, and 20 years later, another ruler takes over, and he begins to build a coalition with the South Korean peninsula, or South Korean government. And we're talking about a guy that just six months ago was by everybody's, every single country's assessment, the most dangerous country in the world, North Korea. Most dangerous country in the world. Everybody agreed that North Korea, six months ago, was the most dangerous country in the world. And that man just said, listen, let's, get, let's, let's denuclearize our peninsula. Let's tear down this wall. Let's have family reunions. I'm like, what? But how many know that God knew it? I'm from the beginning of time, but God knew it. At least back in 2012, he's, I know there was lots of other people prophes- prophesying the same thing. But my point is, is that God is the divine X factor. What's going on in your life? It's not bigger than God. But you don't know my father. You don't know how crazy he is. I know that guy is crazy. I know that guy is famous for killing Christians. He is the modern day Saul who killed Christians. He is modern day ISIS. That guy has killed thousands of Christians. The story goes on to tell about people who have defected from there and telling stories of what he's done to Christians. And now the next thing Christians are going to have to do is, can you forgive Nebuchadnezzar? (laughs) What do you do with the guy who's killed a bunch of people and then says, hey, let's make peace? And the next test will be, how big is your forgiveness? Oh, it's real easy when you don't know the names of the people. As long as it doesn't happen in your family, you're like, we should forgive him. But you wait to see what stories come out in the next 10 years, and we're going to learn a whole other thing about restoring nations. Listen to this, Isaiah 2. Now it will come about in the last days. Do we live in the last days? I don't know. We live in the more last days than they were yesterday. People write me all the time. Do you believe we live in the last days? Definitely more last than yesterday. (laughs) It will come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills and the nations will stream to it. And many peoples will come and say, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For the law shall go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge between nations, and he'll render decisions between many peoples, and they will hammer their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Look at this, I love this last verse. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they learn war. People are like, that's in the millennium. What if it isn't? What if God has decreed a time of peace? And you're living in the right in the middle of it. And the only reason you don't experience it, because you don't believe it. See, I think bad theology can ruin a really perfect epic season. (laughs) 
I think bad eschatology can take you out of peace and put you in war when you should be peaceful. Recently, we stood against three bills that were in legislature in California. And I just want to say that those bills prevented people from believing they can change. It basically said that if you are a boy, you think you're a girl, you're a girl, you think you're a boy, that the only thing that is, will be legal in California is for that to be affirmed. It will be illegal, even if you want counseling. If you, want, if you say, I feel this way, but I don't want to live like this, you will not be able to get counseling. You will not be able to buy a book. You will not be able to go to a conference in California to do anything except for affirm your conception. And so, you know, there was, obviously, there's a lot of stuff going on about that in California, in a lot, some in our city. And they're like, and some people are like, you are, you know, whatever, gay haters or, it's like, I just wonder if you've noticed, like, we're not activists, like, we're not out carrying protest signs. We have a really good relationship in our city with everybody. We do business with you no matter, (laughs) no matter your persuasion. You know, Paul said that if you judge the world... (laughs) He said, who do you think you are to judge the world? What part do you have in judging the world? And the only judgment that we get to have is among our own congregation, our own fellowship. How many know if somebody's committing adultery in your own fellowship, that should matter to the rest of the body. <laughs> but the world, we love the world. Our obligation is to love the world. God gave the world choices. But how many understand that the only way people know Well, let me just read you Romans 10. I love this. What does this mean? The word of God is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we have preached, that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For from the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. From the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture said, um, verse 13, whoever will call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how will they believe if they have not heard? And how will they hear if there is no preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How many understand that our challenge is not with a group of people. It's with the fact that you take away, whenever you say, when I, if I'm like this, I, was, I can't change. And I'm saying, our message is God can do anything. (laughs) Our message is, it doesn't matter how broken you are. It doesn't matter how bad you've sinned. It doesn't matter what you've done in your life. Nothing is impossible with God. (laughs) If God can change the North Korean ruler, he can change you. You go, well, that may not happen very often. Yes, but it's happening. (laughs) And what I'm getting at is that we can't have bills that say, you can't change because that's not the truth. The truth is, that God can do anything. That God can change you, he can change me, he can change them, he can change anybody. And all it takes is to believe. If you believe this mountain can be removed, this mountain will be removed. And nothing shall be impossible to you. 
And what I'm getting at is this, is that sometimes people are like, you're against something. Like, no, we're for. We are for the fact that God has sent us with a message. And that message is, nothing is impossible with God. So no matter what happens in your life, you know, if you're living in some kind of sin, like I, I hear sometimes Christians say, I'm stuck in pornography. Let me tell you something. You're not. What well, feels like it? Well, I don't know that. We all know what that feels like to feel stuck. But the Bible says that sin will not be a master over you. <laughs> so the only reason sin's mastering you is because you believe it. And if you believe it, you've empowered something that Jesus disempowered. Uh, and listen, I'm not saying that it won't be hard. I'm not saying that you, you know, you're just like, okay, I believe it. I'm out of pornography. Uh, I believe it. I'm out of this sexual sin, whatever it is. I'm not saying it'll be easy. I'm just saying you'll win. I'm saying ultimately you will win. Why? Because when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just die for you. He died as you. And when you receive him, you are born into a new kingdom. You no longer have hereditary sin. You have hereditary righteousness. You know when you go to the doctor and they go, okay, so let's see, did your father have a heart condition? No. Did you, is there any diabetes in your family? No. When they get all done, the doctor's like, you've never had anything go wrong in your family? No, because my dad is Jesus. I don't have hereditary diseases. I have hereditary righteousness. I have hereditary blood in my body. You, are, you, are you seeing where I'm going? I'm saying, I'm saying that you, we receive righteousness by faith. When I tap into faith, when I tap into, when I by faith tap into Christ, how many understand that everything that held me is now able to be broken? Chains are able to be broken. So I can't live in a state. This is our state, California. This is where we're, this is where I was born and raised. This is where the 1906 revival happened in Azusa Street. This is where Amy Simple McPherson started the Foursquare Movement. This is where the Jesus Movement was birthed. I can't, be in a, I can't be in a state that says, listen, some of you can never change. Like, that's not true. I'm sorry, but the truth of the gospel is anyone can change. And if you were passing a bill saying that, you know, uh, adulterous people can't change, I'd be like, no, 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 I'm sorry, that's not true. I'm sorry, I can't have that. So I just want you to know, like, the message that we're carrying, that we've been commissioned to, greater works shall you do when I go to be with the Father. I don't want to live in a state that takes away people's hope and also takes away freedom of choice because it is by the freedom of my will that I actually come into a relationship with Jesus and it's by my will that I actually change. And if I say, I don't want to be like this anymore and I tap into Christ, how many know I can change? When I, when I was a boy, I've told this story many times, but when I was 15 years old, my mother was laying on the couch and she had psoriasis covering her entire body. We had a prowler at our house almost for a year. My, my mother had just uh, divorced my, my first stepfather, uh, who was a very violent alcoholic. And, uh, and my mother was sleeping with a shotgun because the prowler had gotten in our house twice. I was sleeping with a 22 rifle and he had the prowler had gotten into my house the day before this thing I'm about to tell you about. He'd got into my window, very old house built in the late, in the early 1900s. He'd got into my window and got into my room 
I saw a shadow of him. I pulled my gun out. I yelled. He jumped out the window. I took a shot at him. Never, I didn't hit him. Thank God. And the next night, I was laying awake, the oldest of three children. Didn't know if there was a God. I wasn't raised to, I actually wasn't raised to not believe in God. We just never served God. We never went to church. I never read a Bible. And I said out loud, if there's a God, if you heal my mother, I'll find out who you are and I'll serve you the rest of my life. And an audible voice said, my name is Jesus Christ. You have what you requested. I woke the next morning. I was eager to wake the next morning and go to the breakfast table. And when I got there, my mother was completely, her psoriasis was completely gone. It covered her, much of her body. About a week later, the voice came back. I've only heard the audible voice of God twice in my life, and both times is before I knew him. The audible voice came back about a week later and said, My name is Jesus Christ. You said that if I healed your mother, you'd serve me, and I'm waiting. It was three years later that my girlfriend, now wife, found Jesus. We received Jesus in this Jesus movement with a bunch of hippies. We were the only ones who showered in those days. (laughs) Maybe to this day is why my nose doesn't work. I do not know. But we weren't hippies, but we were saved among the hippies. And this young man said, does anyone want to receive Jesus in in this house full of hippies? And we had looked for three years. And my girlfriend raised her hand. That's me. She was 15. I was 18. I raised my hand. I said, if she's doing it, I'm doing it. (laughs) And we received the Lord together that night. Kind of funny story, the young man who was leading worship, who, asked to, who, who led us in the sinner's prayer, came over afterwards and sat down on the floor with us, and he talked to us about being born again. Very simple, it was probably not more than 10 minutes long, and then he said, you're like a new baby, and you need a father, and he brought over two men, maybe three years older than us, and he said, which one of these men do you want to be your father? <laughs> I just took the better looking one. <laughs> A funny part of the story I don't tell very often is, is that he said, would you like to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I'm like, I don't know. He said, well, you should be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm like, okay, we'll take that too. Seriously, didn't know anything about anything. So he said, well, I'll pray for you and you're going to get filled with the Holy Spirit. So three or four people still sitting on the floor, the hippies came. You had to overcome the smell to get the spirit. I think it was really important for that. So they prayed for us to receive the Holy Spirit. And while they were praying, my girlfriend's like, I'm like, we get in the car, we're driving, I'm driving her to her house, which is in Fremont. It's a half an hour drive. And all the way there, she's like home. She's like, oh, this is so cool. I'm like, sha da da ya ya da 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 She's doing this, ya da 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 Oh, oh, Holy Spirit, come. I'm like, shut up. <laughs> it was a year. We went every week, and every week she sha da 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 And every week I, shah. 
しょう We got married. Actually, it was two years because it, it was, we were married. And we were, I was in the bedroom. We'd always, like, she'd go in the front room and pray. And I would, it was our habit to pray before we go to work. So I'm in the bedroom, leaning, kneeling on the bed and just praying. And I was praying. And I don't remember what I was praying for, but suddenly I'm like, shut up, yadada. <laughs> Jesus, thank you. Shut up, yadada. I come running out of the bedroom. I'm like, watch this. Shut up, yadada. I got it. <laughs> I was so anxious to go, so excited to go back to our hippie meeting, you know, because they're like, when they, everybody, when they sing, they sing, sha da 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 I'm like, and I'm like, <laughs> mostly I was going, da 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 da, while everybody's worshiping in the spirit, I'm like, da 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 da. <laughs> I can't wait to get to the meeting so I can shaba with them, like, for the first time. And the Lord, I tell you that story because the Lord began to take a very, very broken person. And piece by piece, over really a long 